Welcome to Passive Real Estate Investing, the show where busy people like you learn how to build substantial passive income while creating wealth for the long term. And now, here's your host, Marco Santarelli. Hello, my friends, and welcome to another episode of Passive Real Estate Investing. I'm your host, Marco Santarelli. I am very excited about this next episode. In fact, this interview went so long, I've actually cut this into two episodes because it is so full of great content, stories, and lessons that it just made it worthwhile to turn it into two episodes. I received a book in the mail sometime last year. It was probably in the third quarter. And I opened up a package and I pulled out a book called The Wealthy Gardener. And I was taken back by the title. And the subtitle is Lessons on Prosperity Between Father and Son. And as I looked at the image on the book, it was a silhouette of a father holding his son's hand, walking off into the distance. And you really don't see anything more than that other than, you know, a very warm colored beige book with a silhouette of father and son. And I was taken back by that because it made me think of my daughter and the lessons on prosperity that I want to pass on to her and other life lessons. And I didn't read the book right away, but then I purchased the audiobook and I started going through that and I couldn't stop listening to it. It is a book of heartwarming stories and practical wisdom on entrepreneurship and wealth. And it's pretty much everything that you would want to pass on to your kids regardless of their age. And even if you're not passing it on, it's really a lot of stuff that we all should know regardless of our age, whether we're in our 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s. But I highly recommend this book. It's, it was written kind of in the vein of Rich Dad, Poor Dad, written by a financially independent father, and he wrote it for his son. But I was really taken back and impressed by the book. I was touched by the story. It was very genuine. When I finally got to talk to John, the author, I realized how down to earth and just straightforward and genuine he really is. And just for him to take what I think was ultimately about four years of his life to compile and write this book is amazing. And I'm going to go out on a limb and make a very, very bold prediction. I think that this book has the possibility and the potential to become one of those perennial books you put on your bookshelf along with Think and Grow Rich and Rich Dad, Poor Dad. And I'm not saying that it's better than any of those books. I'm just saying it's on the same caliber because of the lessons that are in the book and the way it's written and presented. I think it's, what do they say about principles? They're timeless. And this is going to be one of those timeless books. It just will go on for generations. So I'm very excited to share this interview with you with John Sephoric, the author of the book, The Wealthy Gardener. It is a great read. I highly recommend you pick it up. You're going to get a lot from this hour and 10 minutes that I spent with John. And we will do that over the course of two episodes. So enjoy and give me your feedback. If you guys um, learned anything from this and loved it, liked it, you know, by all means, just send me an email and let me know what you thought. I wouldn't mind to uh, share that with John. And also I may quote it on uh, some future episodes. All right, with that, let's get on to the interview. 
It is my pleasure to welcome John Seforic to the show. John is the author of the book, The Wealthy Gardener, a book of life lessons he wrote for his son. The book was eventually self-published. It became an Amazon bestseller. He sold 30,000 copies in the first year, and it's been published in countries like China and South Korea, and more recently was purchased by Penguin Random House. John retired financially free at the age of 50 with a healthy six-figure passive income. And after I read his amazing book a few months ago, I wanted to invite him on the show to share a few of his life and wealth lessons with my audience. So with that, John, welcome to the show. Thank you, Marco. It is an honor to be here. I'm actually honored to have you on the show because I finished reading your book and I'm actually going through it for the second time, just starting. And I was first taken back by the title when I got your book. So thank you for the wonderful gift. The Wealthy Gardener, there's something about that title that draws me in because you don't think of a gardener as being wealthy, but the metaphors and the analogies and the lessons that you have in this book are phenomenal. And it was very touching. And we're going to get into that a little bit later. But I want to first start off with you. Let's talk about John. Tell us a little bit about your background and who are you? I think my story starts with one book. At the age of 20, I came across Think and Grow Rich. And that book exposed me to a world that was nothing like I ever grew up in. I came from the middle class. I never knew anybody who was wealthy. I never knew anybody who aspired to wealth, let alone anybody who was financially free. And I was captivated by that book at the age of 20. And of course, there, was, there were a lot of books that came after that one throughout my life, but that was the seminal book and it expanded my mind. And so if you ask the start of my story, there's no question. It was Napoleon Hill, Think and Grow Rich. The arc of my career uh, spanned three decades. I look at the 20s as a decade of pain and suffering. I think sometimes we learn the most during our hardships or tough times. And so the 20s were certainly my time to learn. You know, Winston Churchill has a quote that I've always related to in my 20s. He says that success is the ability to go from failure to failure without losing your enthusiasm. Well, I didn't fail, but I struggled. And sometimes that feels a little bit like failure when you expect a lot of success. And I expected success. The long and short of it in my 20s was I graduated at the age of 24. I graduated as a chiropractor and I went directly into practice. On day one, I'm sitting in my own business. It's empty and I'm down $200,000 in debt when you add it all up. So that was my splash into the world. Took me about four years to get that business up and running and, and successful, at which point I sold it. I moved across the country, 500 miles, and I did it all over again from scratch. At the same time, during the 20s, I, I got married. We had two children. And so you can imagine there's, there's chaos everywhere. I'm trying to adapt. I'm trying to adult. And I was learning a lot. And one of the things I learned most during that era is is the value of $20. There were times I would come and I, it was Friday night and I would avoid buying a pizza because that was a luxury that I didn't want to give. I remember one night in the 20s where I sat there all night and I, I stayed up while my family slept because I wasn't sure how I was going to pay for groceries the next week. And if you ever go through those lean times, it changes you. It just gets in your DNA. And you certainly know, you gain a clarity that, of what you don't want in life. And I knew by the time I get into my 30s, I never wanted that struggle for the rest of my life. 
I wanted peace of mind. I didn't want to worry nonstop. I wanted to protect and provide for my family. These were the big motivations for me. And so I set this big goal, like you had said, I set it at the age of 30. I was just committed, no more of this. And I said, I want to be financially free by the age of 50. And financial freedom for me, I set a very clear number, 220,000 passive income, not active income. This is sit on your butt income. And a reason it wasn't about greed so much as it was about, I just wanted so far away from that financial line that I could I could then give my time and my consciousness and my, my attention to more important things than chasing a dollar because I had it with that. And so what that led to was basically me working 40 hours a week, just like everybody else. But then I, I ventured into rental real estate in my free hours. Why rental real estate? Well, that's where passive income was in my backyard. And I basically lived the millionaire next door lifestyle. I mean, that was me. I was a classic, mind my own business. I was frugal. I was not materialistic. People didn't know what I was doing. In fact, they probably looked at me and thought, he must be suffering. He must not be doing too well financially. Why else would he be working so much in his free hours, right? And, and I did feel that. Uh, you have to swallow your ego a little bit in order to get what you want. But you know, I was slowly acquiring my goals during that decade without anybody knowing it. I was under the radar. And I was also learning how to leverage other people's time. So the guy who couldn't afford a pizza in his 20s by the end of his 30s now, is hiring maybe 12 to 15 people. That's a lot of power in addition to yourself, right? And so that power goes into my 40s in my final decade. I always say that the 40s was a huge relief for me. You know, when you do things consistently, you do things right, you delay gratifications long enough, you know, you start to amass a little bit of a money snowball. The 40s were about that. It was a relief. I had money. I had the power of money. And that was a new experience. You know, somewhere in the 40s, you cross the line and you become a millionaire on paper. The world doesn't see that, of course. You know, you're still working your 40 hour job, you're still doing the rental thing. We started moving into flips. And so you, you start to see more opportunities. Instead of like the duplexes and a small single family, they see me walking up to an apartment complex. And now I have the power to choose. I have the power to say yes or no. I can walk up to a an entire block in my hometown of duplexes. And I said, I'll take those. So that's the power of money. And it sounds funny, you know, like you have different themes of your life, right? And I look back at the 40s and my theme song was a song from a Disney movie uh, called Aladdin. If you remember the, the genie coming out of the bottle, Robin Williams going bananas, ballistic singing, you ain't never got a friend like me. Right. You know, wah, wah, wah. That song. <laughs> right. That's money. You ain't never got a friend like me. It's, oh my God. I mean, that is a trustworthy friend. If you can protect it and you can treat it with respect, that friend is power. And we walked right up arm in arm, me and that friend to the end of the 40s. And yeah, at the age of 49, I reached my goals, 220,000 passive. And I was able then to turn my attention to other things than chasing a dollar. That's exactly it. I'm going to ask you about that. You know, I, my audience hears me talking about goals and goal setting quite often. It's something that I firmly believe in and I started doing in my teens. And I think I got it from Tony Robbins, but I was listening to personal development cassette tapes back then from all these personal development gurus. And goal setting, as we all know, is very important and everyone should write them and review them on a regular basis. And 
It sounds like you had a big why and a purpose, and you tied that all together with your goals. Talk about your goal of $220,000 per year in passive income. That's a very specific number. Why that number? Why that number? Exactly. Why that number? I firmly believe that if you don't have a big why, you won't get there. And we always look at this and we say that to achieve some sort of worthy goal, we have to have persistence, right? We always talk about that. Well, what is persistence? Is that, is that willpower or is it why power? I am just committed that it's a little bit of both. Yes, it takes discipline, but it takes why power. You gotta, you gotta want more than what the money is. So what, why 220 for me? Absolutely, I was very clear. One, I wanted freedom without worry. Freedom with worry to me isn't freedom. I saw my brother back out of work early. He's in his 50s, early 50s. He had to watch his heating bills. He couldn't take vacations. Yeah, he doesn't have a job, but that doesn't look like freedom to me. So I wanted more. So I start with what do I need for retirement income? What I needed, uh, I felt in my area to have retirement income was $100,000. So I, I set that as my baseline goal for retirement income. So we have to earn more than that because we have to take tax out of what we earn, right? So I say, okay, now, since I want 100, I got to earn 150. I'm just, I'm creating margins of safety. So I need 150. I also love the idea of Ray Kroc. Like Ray Kroc, you know, if you study people, just like you said, if you go back and you study the gurus, and also if you study the biographies, the people who aren't gurus, who led exceptional lives, like, like Ray Kroc, the founder of McDonald's, he had a saying called evergreen. He meant cash flow. Evergreen to him meant cash flow. He always wanted to add another McDonald's to his already profitable cash flowing McDonald's corporation. And so he's always adding these new cash flowing businesses, right? So I'm attracted to that because I read that biography, just like you kept on learning through these audio cassettes, and I did too. So Ray Kroc influenced me there. So now I have $100,000 I want. That means I have to earn 150, but I want to grow my business from my business. That's number two. In my area, the short story is, is that a duplex might cost $80,000 at a good price. I wanted to get a duplex every year once I was retired. I wanted to keep that business going. I wanted to grow it from it. I wanted to be evergreen. And so Ray Kroc influenced me right there. And third, you know, I've heard you talk about Jim Rohn. Uh, Jim Rohn influenced me. Again, these people were all dead by the time I was born. And they influenced me through their teachings. Jim Rohn, he always said that the value of a large goal is what you become, not what you get. Like we have to grow into it. At the age of 30, I was broke. I wasn't able to earn what I was able to earn at 50. I had to grow, I'd expand myself, I had to develop myself. And I was attracted to that idea. Jack Canfield, Chicken Soup for the Soul author, he was another person who influenced me. He always talked about big goals as well. His idea of a big goal, his reason, his why was that it's important to set goals so large that we can't do them on our own. In other words, what he would say, we need help from a higher power. Now, he's not talking about sitting around on his knees, praying for help, hoping things will get better. He's talking about the power of goals, just what you said. It's focused faith. It's the power of an insane faith. And, you know, I've always said, like, I, I love Tony Robbins as well. And Tony Robbins once said that goals have a magnetism that attracts the things to you, right? And I say, man, if that's true, then I tell you what the magnetism is, it's your faith. You've got to surround that goal with just an absurd faith. And that's the magnetism. And so I was attracted to it for all those reasons. 
And that said, though, I can say that sometimes big goals aren't for everybody. And even in the story of the wealthy gardener, you know, he expands his business bit by bit and just grows into it piece by piece. Sometimes a big goal can demoralize you. And, uh, you know, I certainly felt a lot of distress and frustration because I did have a big goal. I got through that and I grew through that. But uh, that is the danger of a huge goal. Sometimes it's okay to set a goal just a little bit beyond your capacity and move into it. So it depends on your psyche and who you are and, and what you can handle, I think, sometimes. Yeah, definitely. Well, let me ask you about the book here. You called it The Wealthy Gardener. It was um, a very, very attractive title. It is an attractive title. That's the first thing that drew me in. The other thing that drew me in was the cover. It's very simple. It's just a nice calming beige color with a picture, a silhouette of a father holding his son's hand, walking off into the distance. And that right away grabbed me because it made me think about me holding my daughter's hand and me passing on wealth lessons and my knowledge and wisdom onto her and, and hopefully to other future generations. So who is The Wealthy Gardener? And tell us what this book is about. Well, let me first talk about what you just said, because that, that touched me as well. That image of a father and a son, when I first saw that image, that made my eyes mist up. That represented a picture of what I was after here. So I appreciate you bringing that up. And I can tell you the author of the book chose that because it was blurred in my vision when I first saw that picture, that one specifically. Yeah, it was all about that. Who is the wealthy gardener? The wealthy gardener is an old man who is nearing the end of his life. He started out with just a small vegetable garden, and he grew that garden, though, over many decades by putting the hours of his days to use. It eventually grew into a large farm, vineyard, winery, and he started employing a lot of the town. One of the reasons I named it the wealthy gardener is because the garden has been a timeless metaphor throughout history to describe a person's time on earth. I didn't invent this. I just used it for a story. We reap what we sow. We get in life what we earn and nothing more. We can shape our environment by our own will if we're willing to sacrifice. And hopefully, I created a character in The Wealthy Gardener that shows people how to do that. This book is about everything I've ever learned. I mean, along the way to my own financial freedom. I think what's unique about it, like you said, like you alluded to, is that before it was ever public, before it went ever went on to Amazon and Penguin and was translated into languages and all, it was just a book between a father and a son for three years. That was a sacred time. I was just talking about life lessons between me and Mike, my son, and I needed him to know certain things that I just, they were pivotal in my own life. And I divided the book into four sections, you know, like I needed him to understand the importance of using the days and time management not letting the hours of his life pass by without aim and purpose. I needed him to understand the work of earning wealth and that it takes far more than average effort. But you know, there's a lot of average effort involved in mediocrity and you don't get any kind of rewards as well. It's not that much more. I needed him to understand some perspectives about wealth. So before he gets on the journey, it's just best that he has a kind of an idea of what he's going to be doing I needed him to understand things like patience and enduring setbacks and sometimes choosing discomfort over ease, balancing ambition with relationships, things like that we all face in life and we all know later on, but you might not know when you're 20 years old. And I needed him to know that he has the power to be wealthy. I think sometimes people just, just look at it as such an enormous goal that is so far out of reach that then they don't take those first steps for it. 
And so I, I assembled all these timeless principles that worked so much for me over my life. And I assembled them into these, uh, what I call the 55 powers for wealth. And I put those in the book to help him understand that if he, if he develops himself, he has the power, but you've got to develop yourself. And so that's what the book is about. It's a book of life lessons between a father and a son. It's me just basically pouring out my heart to my son. And uh, it's a story wrapped around a wealthy gardener and a stage of characters in that environment. So your inspiration was first and foremost your son and passing those lessons on. My inspiration was only about my son. I, I think when we spoke earlier uh, on our pre-conversations here, I, everything to me has been an unintended consequence of the book. And absolutely, I, I just felt such a deep need for me to, to pass on. It felt like I was in a battle for so long, and it was a battle I was unprepared for. I didn't realize I was even signing up for this battle, right? Day after day, you go out and it was a struggle in the middle class to get where I wanted to, to live over those three decades that I talked about. And I look back over my 20-year-old self and I was unprepared. I didn't have the skills. I didn't have the understanding. I didn't know what I was really getting into. I don't think we're taught that in school. So I wanted to say, look, Mike, don't walk out into this battle. This is a pretty tough opponent if you don't know what you're doing. Here's my lessons. Okay, start where I leave off. And just maybe your battle will be 10 years, 15 years. Maybe you'll get to experience a lot more uh, success in life than your old man did because I had such a learning curve. And sure, I mean, what kind of a father wouldn't want that for his son? You know, that's where it started. Right. We talk often about cultivating a growth mindset to improve our ability to succeed in life in all areas of life. If you don't have that growth mindset, it's really hard to become successful at anything, not just financial, but whatever you're pursuing in life. When did you learn that financial success is first and foremost about mindset? That was definitely a story from my early 20s. And I'll tell you, it was a story that I didn't have the courage to tell throughout my entire life. It was very private uh, what happened there. I didn't have the courage to tell this story until I wrote a book. And so ironically, I didn't tell it to anybody until I told it to everybody. You know, you get to a point in your life where you say, whatever, judge me for what it is, but I, I can only tell my story, right? So this is what happened. I spoke of being 25 years old and being a chiropractor in Chicago. I was scared. That was my first year in practice. I was fearful. I would drive to that practice every day in a state of worry. And I would walk in there, say hello to my receptionist, go back to my clinic and sit down at my desk. And I would sit there worried. It was a fear mindset. I was so terrified. I didn't even know if I would survive. You know, if you think about that mindset now, if you imagine an Olympic athlete walking onto a stage ready to give their performance, right? If they walk onto that stage with a feeling of doubt and fear, they don't have a chance. And it's my belief that it's the same thing in adult life. So in that first year, thank God, a man walked into my clinic. He was about a 60-year-old gentleman, and he was a former minister. He changed his career. He pivoted into a counseling profession. And he was in 1990, what we would call a life coach or a success coach today. Basically, he had, he had low back pain and I was treating him and we got to be friends. And he made me an offer to be my success coach. And I accepted the offer. I accepted the offer because I had a background in sports and mental conditioning and sports performance. And you know, you talk about a 
growth mindset. I was blessed, I say, by being an average athlete. When you're an average athlete, you have to learn to struggle. You have to learn to fight. You have to learn to strive and improve yourself. There's nothing given to you. And you don't think that you're going to win this game because you're exceptional. You think that you can improve always. And that's the growth mindset, right? And I had in my past, I had some 30-point performances. I had had some big-time games, you know, mid-30s, but only when I was in a state, mental state of invincibility, absolute faith and power. So I knew this works for sports. So I wasn't completely closed-minded that this might work for my business. So I, I said, yes, I accepted. A typical session at his office would go something like this. I would, we would meet at his office and we would talk about this current week. What was my attitude like? Was I worried? Did I feel confident? He would try to take a barometer of that. What were the statistics, you know, the metrics that measure a success or failure in my kind of service profession? We would go over that. But then most importantly, he would ask me, what does success look like for you next week? And I'd have to describe that. What does success look like for you next week? That's a question, right? He's not asking me to say, five years from now, what does it look like? No, we're talking now, this minute. So I would describe it to him. I would go into whatever it looked like for me. He would leave the room. I would put on these headphones. I would hear soft music. He would start speaking softly into these headphones. And we would go through something what I would call like a a guided visualization, which you'd call it these days, maybe a hypnosis, something like that. But these terms weren't around back then. He was just kind of a, a, a starter of this kind of stuff. At the end of the session, he would go through it all. He would paint some sort of picture with his words. I would try to imagine it was my job to get a clear image of what he's saying and to believe, to have faith, to emotionalize it. At the end of the session, I'd meet him at the front desk. He would give me a cassette and I would take that home. That cassette was the guided visualization of what we just did. It was my job between sessions to go home, listen to that in the morning, listen to that at night, listen to that in the morning, listen to it at night. And anytime my mind would wander during the day, it was my job to get my mind off of worries over onto confidence in my vision and that picture that we described. Long story short, the first week, what happens? As God is my witness, the phone starts ringing. Now, I was doing a lot of things right. I was doing a lot of things right before I saw this guy. I was in the papers. I was advertising. I was sending out flyers. I was doing what people do to be successful in this business. Those things weren't working when I was in a state of constant worry. All I can tell you is that when I shifted my mindset, those things were working. And being the man of faith that I am at the time, of course, I doubted everything. There's no possible way this this coincidence could be due to just thinking and so forth. So six months out, what happened? I have a new problem now. Six months from that point, I was so busy, Marco. I didn't have any place to put patience I was busy a month out. I had a full appointment book and the phone would ring. And I, you know, keep in mind, I just came off of a year of starvation. And so I couldn't say no to anybody. I would stay up 24 hours if I had to, to see you because I was scared. So this was all new to me. And so now I'm treating people at 1030 at night, 11 o'clock at night, coming home in the morning and it's just nuts. And so that was the lesson of me. Like that's when we talk about goals, when we talk about faith, I really believe there's a power of faith that if you can get it right, it's a focused, harnessed faith that it changes things. Like we've all seen it. It may not be that different as that, that amazing where 
you know, your clinic explodes, maybe you get ideas, maybe you get new strategies, maybe a person comes into your life, maybe a book comes into your life. But I've lived my life that way ever since. And the take-home lesson for me is that, yeah, you take massive action in life, but you also cultivate massive faith. You know, for me, it was a faith mindset. Just like walking onto that athletic performance, it's no different. So to me, that's the wealth mindset. And uh, man, I tell you, I try, to, I try to invoke that every day of my life. Yeah, that's great. I don't know if you told me this before we started recording or, or if you mentioned it earlier, but one of the books you had read early on was Think and Grow Rich by Napoleon Hill, which is one of those books I think that are very foundational. It's a cornerstone book that I think everybody should read and maybe read once every year just on an ongoing basis because a lot of what he talks about is all about the mind and what you think about and how you think. It's all in your head. And I know you probably have a lot to say about this because a lot of people read that book and it's really just the turning point in their life. It was the turning point of my life. When you ask about the start of my life, the start of my career, a question we all have is like, I'm sure that everybody, every guest that comes on your podcast says, well, where do I start this story, right? There's no question. The start of my story is think and grow rich. I shudder to wonder where I would be today without that book. Absolutely. It was pivotal. And sometimes I'll hear in my reviews, uh, people don't understand how, what a compliment it is to me when they say, you know, this book is kind of like the modern day think and grow rich. I think it's a passing remark for them. They don't understand how I'm ready to take a knee and cry when I hear that compliment, because that book is why my kids got through college without debt. That book is why I'm where I am. That book is why I'm not in the middle class, not even knowing. It expanded my mind. It was the start of everything. It was pivotal. So yeah, you nailed my book, no question. And that led me to Earl Nightingale and just a whole bunch of others, you know? Sure. Well, I mean, what you can do is just add The Wealthy Gardener to your list of reading books, you know, the, the must-read mandatory books. Put Think and Grow Rich on there. Put The Wealthy Gardener on there. Put Rich Dad, Poor Dad on there. Interestingly enough, when I was going through your book, Often I would think how similar, not the same, but similarly your book is to Rich Dad, Poor Dad. Not so much in the lessons, but just in the format that it's a story and it's engaging and it's entertaining and you get into it and you keep going through it and you're entertained by the story, but you're getting life lessons throughout every single chapter, every single part of it. And uh, I think it's just brilliant. I started with an audacious goal. Like when I started this, this project, you get up to the 49 years old, you're financially free. You start looking for what's next. You know, it's always a question, what's, what's next, right? And again, Napoleon Hill always said, it's always your next move, no matter where you are in life. Well, it was my next move at the age of 50. Now what? And so I will admit that I wanted a timeless book. I believe that principles of success are timeless. I believe that stories can be timeless. And so it was my idea to put all of the timeless lessons in one book. And so we don't have a bookshelf of 50. Can we put them all in one place? And then if we make a story, right, is it possible to make a story so that people can read this book and actually experience the lessons? And it's not all good. It's not all happy in the book. You'll experience, like, I can tell my son this, you know, Mike, it's really important to live your life so that you don't have regrets. Or I can write a story and I can have a character called Fred. And I could show you some bad things that might happen in his life, some regrets because of his procrastination. And now my son's going to experience that. And when you experience something, it's almost like reading a biography, like me and how I learned so much from biographies. It's different. It gets into you. It, it ingrains in you differently. 
I can tell my son, you know, Mike, it's really important to live with focus and, and not be aimless. I'm not sure that's going to stick, right? But what if I create a character called Jared and I, he lets time pass. He talks about wanting goals, but you know, he really doesn't take any kind of action and things don't work out too good for Jared in the book. You know, and what if I talk about, Mike, you've got to use your ambition. That's the key to an authentic life. You're given ambition for a reason, man. Don't try to harness that. Don't try to suppress it. Or I could say, hey, let me show you Jimmy from the book. Jimmy's the guy who has a lot of ambition. And you know what? Let me show you how it works out for a guy with ambition. You know, it's going to be a harder life, but it's going to be a more authentic and a more satisfying life, quite frankly. And so I wanted to teach these lessons, not just shout them out to you like, like every book in the world. I wanted to try to write a story around it. And I, I felt like maybe that would be just something different to add to the the literature of the world. There's a, there's a million books out there, but maybe I could write my own book with my own flavor and just put everything together like that and let a person experience it. And maybe that would impact them differently. That was the original idea for the fictional story. Sure, sure. So just, I think it was last week, I released an episode of an interview that I did with Nir Ayel, the author of uh, the original book, Hooked, which was a New York Times bestseller. And then he more recently wrote a book called Indistractable, which is a word that he made up about, you know, distraction and staying focused. And the timing was very interesting because over the last six months, I've been very focused on how and where I spend my time. In The Wealthy Gardener, you have a couple of chapters or lessons that talk about impact activities and impact hours, which resonated with me very much because I've been very meticulous about my time and my calendar, and I, I've gotten to the point where I've become greedy with my time, which you know involves saying no to a lot of things and just making sure that you've got your minutes and your hours and your days blocked accordingly. And you know, he talks about this thing called time blocking, which is something that I was doing before I even knew the term. But why do you claim that our conditions reflect how we spend our time? I think this is an important question. Yeah, it's sacred ground to me. I mean, if you ask how a person like myself gets the things in life I want, it's about time. You know, Ben Franklin once said that, you know, if you love life, do not squander time because that's the stuff time is our lives are made of, right? In the book over and over, I say that time is also the stuff our conditions are made of. You know, and we can change what we do or keep what we've got. And you know, to speak to your point about getting greedy, we all face this one challenge. Okay. I've read once that you can either choose, you're going to choose one or the other right now, resentment or guilt, right? Do you want resentment or guilt? Like if you're going to give somebody your time, you're going to feel a little bit of resentment if you have ambition to go elsewhere with that time. Now we have to balance those kind of things, or you're going to choose guilt because you're going to pull back on that greed. And I fought that all my life, but I can tell you this, that I learned that at a very young age, that time is everything. And you know, sometimes I share some of the most embarrassing stories of my life in this book. For example, as a 19-year-old, I was sitting outside of the dean's office after my freshman year of college. I was sitting there not for some congratulatory uh, meeting. I was thinking I was going to get kicked out of college, quite frankly. My grades were atrocious. And the door opened and the dean let me in. And he went on the other side of his big mahogany desk and I sat on, the, on a chair on the other side and I was just sweating bullets. My parents didn't even know I was there. The dean says, John, I looked over your grades and I want you to understand that there's nothing, there's no dishonor 
and choosing a less challenging curriculum. And whatever else he said, I can't remember because my mind went into a whirl. And I was thinking, okay, first of all, I'm not getting kicked out of college, not yet anyway. And secondly, I don't have to tell my parents. And third, he just thinks I'm stupid. See, he didn't understand that I had a girlfriend and I was googly-eyed over her. I had a host of fun buddies. We played cards till two o'clock every night. And he couldn't understand that I had a social agenda that left no time for academic study. See, the, the dean thought that I was stupid. He thought that I was incapable of grades because I didn't have the potential, but I was incapable of grades because I didn't have the purpose. I needed to restructure my time. When a change of life is wanted, you always look at the schedule. Always look at the schedule. It's what you do that counts. So what did I do? I came out of that meeting. I go back to my room. I sigh a big relief. Thank God I don't have to tell my parents. And I got a second chance. I set goals to get great, my straight A's. I set plan, you know, a plan down. I followed that plan. I, I got greedy with my time. I said goodbye to a lot of my friends and I got straight A's. And so when a change is wanted, you always alter the schedule. And you know, as adults, we laugh, but you know, there's statistics. Americans watch five hours of TV a day is what I hear. I don't see them. I can tell you that in my community, we, we don't watch, nobody I know watches that kind of TV. But I do see a million people in my area being just consumed, consumed, busy, 40-hour weeks, all their free time packed. There's no time to breathe. And, you know, it seems like in my area, at least, busy is the goal. It's like, it's almost the stamp of, yeah, my life is important. Say, like, how are you doing today? Oh, man, I'm busy. That's so commonplace. And people almost brag about it when we shouldn't be bragging. We should be pulling back. You know, we're, we're victims of unrewarded hustle so often. We have to get back and, you know, it's the Pareto principle, the 80-20 stuff. And again, we're talking about timeless principles that have been here forever, right? The use of time, sure. The impact of life equals the impact of our hours. Good activities are the devil of the best. Who doesn't say this? We all get it. But man, it is hard to figure it out sometimes. And so we really have to dig deep. And in real estate, I can tell you, it was a big process for me to get my hours more effective. It was a key strategy uh, for me to win. Yeah. Yeah. We all have the same 24 hours in the day, but we have a choice. We choose what we spend that time on. And it's all about focus. I think, you know, the saying is what we focus on grows, what we focus on expands, what we focus on determines and dictates our future. And so to butcher Tony Robbins saying, he, you know, he basically says that our life is shaped in the moments of our decision and indecision. So what you choose to focus on sets the path and the course of your life. What's going to happen tomorrow, next week, next month, next year. So there's a lot to be said about how you use your time, how you spend your time. And time is that one thing. You know, you can spend it, but you can never get it back. You can get back money. You can spend money and make more, but you can't do that with time. It's the one thing that is consumed and never recovered. So you have to spend it wisely. Absolutely. And how valuable it is to just hear that over and over and over exactly what you just said. I don't know if we can hear that too often. You know, it's, it's something we have to remind ourselves about nonstop. And yeah, there's no question that it's not our, not all lives are equal. Time is equal, but man, we sure do spend it differently. I think sometimes the problem is that we don't choose. And when we don't choose, I think we choose how to spend 40 hours a week, 
We're going to go to work. We're going to give those hours. That's our purpose. But now I think those 70 hours a week, those free hours, they can sometimes get a little unchosen. And when they get unchosen, man, it's like a vacuum and vacuums get filled by other stuff. They never stay empty. Yeah. And so you they have to fight for them. You have to fight for your hours if you want any kind of impact in this world. Well, this is the end of the first part of this two-part episode with John and the book, The Wealthy Gardener. So we're going to continue this on the next episode next week. Please listen to the rest of this. This is fantastic. It just keeps getting better and better. And we're going to be talking about some amazing things on his journey to financial freedom and the lessons that he's learned. So until then, download the free report on our website, The Ultimate Guide to Passive Real Estate Investing. It is a fantastic primer when it comes to investing in real estate and what to look for and how to do it right. If you're already there and you're ready to build your portfolio and or or expand your portfolio, by all means, talk to one of our investment counselors. We offer these free strategy sessions. Take advantage of them because if you think you're ready, maybe you're more ready than you realize, but that's what our counselors are there for. And that is really where we're going to end this today. It's been (laughs) a long interview, but it's full of great information. So thanks for listening. And we're going to see you on our next episode. Are you having a hard time finding great investment properties? Unfortunately, the best deals are rarely found locally. Successful investing begins with the right properties in the right markets. Norada Real Estate provides everything you need to invest in the best deals across the U.S. Our simple, proven system will help you create real wealth and passive monthly cash flow. Get your free copy of The Ultimate Guide to Passive Real Estate Investing at noradarealestate.com slash guide. That's N-O-R-A-D-A realestate.com slash guide. Nothing on this show should be considered specific personal or professional advice. Please consult an appropriate legal, tax, real estate, or business professional for individualized advice. For distribution or publication rights in media interviews, please contact the host.